So yesterday we had a, a banquet some called CEF, Child Evangelism Fellowship, and their, the regional one is located right here in La Mirada, and uh, Ashley Casillas is the director, and she is phenomenal. And in the since 2016, they have reached 32,000 children with the Good News Club in this area, in just in this area alone. 32,000. I don't know any Presbyterian church, to be honest. I'm being just, I'm not being curt. That has reached 32,000 children in the past six years. And out of those 32,000 children, 12,000 of those children said they believe in Jesus. And we live in a time where uh, I noticed some kids don't even know who David and Goliath are, is, are. They don't go to church. So to go to school and share with the children who God is and that God has given us his son Jesus, it's phenomenal. So something that we want to support and be part of. And so they were here yesterday and they were giving out these bookmarks. And I thought, what a wonderful way. We need to tell our children why we believe in God. So as we are continuing through missions, um, we have been going through this journey following the Bible study. Those of you who have been coming, it's been so good. It's, I noticed it's a condensed version of a very uh, rigorous 15-week course called Perspectives. I didn't know that starting this Bible study, but they are connected in substance with this 15-week course. So I pray that in the future, all of us could uh, do this together. So let's begin. Today, here's a theme. God sometimes pushes or pulls us out of our comfort zones towards mission. That's the theme. God will push and pull you out of your comfort zones if he needs to, to get last week. And today we're going to learn about the early church. I want to start with this thought. Uh, how many of you golf or fish? Fish? Okay, golf. So there's this phenomenon in golf. Um, so this always happens, and it's funny. Uh, you guys should laugh at golfers. They hit the ball, and they lose the ball. So you go to find the ball. Almost every time, you know what guys do, typically guys? They look too far down the field. So we say, like, I don't think you hit it that far. No, I could have seen it. I sworn, hey, this is 330 yards. Tiger Woods hits this far. I think I saw it this way. And then they can't find it. And then after their stubbornness wears out, they go back like 100 yards. And their friend's like, oh, here's your ball. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's my ball. So it's, it's this weird phenomenon. And it's this, uh, our ability to overestimate our performances, our abilities, and good intention. We have this weird phenomenon that we overestimate our goodness, our accomplishments, and our good intentions. So it happens like this in church. Churches, when they're looking for a new pastor, this is a joke amongst the pastor world. I'll tell you a secret. When churches are looking for a pastor, guess what churches say? Pastor, we're ready for you. We're a church that wants to change. We're a church that wants to, we need young people. We're a church that we had a rough time, but now we're ready to do whatever it takes to do God's will. How many of you think that's always the honest truth by the church? Pastors, I've never met one pastor that said, you know what? They were being serious. <laughs> never. 
So the joke in the pastor world is when you look for a church, listen to what they say, but what they really say doesn't line up with what they mean. Because after like six weeks, guess what you hear? Why are you changing <laughs> things? Why are you removing this? Or why, why are the children running around? And so one of the funny things at our church was, um, I think it was a few years after, after I heard complaints. And this was a good thing. And then we addressed it. We have too many children running around. You know, Pastor, could we do something about that? And they have a point because we have elderly people in canes. But at the same time, what was they couldn't see was, wow, we have too many children <laughs> in church. And so this is the phenomenon where we overestimate our abilities and our desires and our good intentions. So some of us, we think, man, we are doing God's work. Are you a church that does God's work? Oh, we're not perfect, but we sure do. We overestimate ourselves. And why do we do that? I think the book of Acts gives us an answer to why we tend to do that. So book of Acts was written by a man named Luke. And Luke wrote the gospel of Luke. And he wrote Acts. It's the New Testament. It's the birth of the church. And the message is, how did the church Christianity grow in the beginning? It's that Jesus came and died, and this is a history of how we grew. And so Acts is giving us that missions was something God has started and God has done. It wasn't because people rallied. Uh, the disciples were changed. The early church people were transformed. But it was God who had to push. So here's the first verse, Acts 1.8. I forgot my clicker, John. So Acts uh, 1.8, let's read it together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, who's saying this? It's Jesus. Jesus is saying, you will receive power. You will be my witnesses. And then you will go to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We're going to unpack each of those. You will receive power means you're about to do something that cannot be done on your own might. Right? It's as simple as that. You are about to do something you can't do on your own might. Elders, deacons, pastors, are we doing ministry with our own power? The answer is, heck no. <laughs> we can't do this with our own power. And when we try, we fail. And we're reminded we can't do this without God. The word Power in Greek is the word dunamis. What does that sound like? Dynamite, the power. It's an explosive power. And Jesus is saying, you're about to go on a mission, and you can't be my missionaries without my Holy Spirit power. Second, he says, and then you will be my witnesses. Uh, I think if you go to the next slide, I'm highlighting. John, if you go to the next slide, you will be my witnesses. Witnesses. What do you hear in that statement? You will be my witnesses. I want to ask you, what do you hear in that? You will be my witnesses. What does that mean? One is prophetic. It's a future. You are going to become and do this. You will be witnesses of my death and resurrection, that God has come to bring salvation to the world. But it also means something else too, and they both apply. 
It's a command. You will be my witnesses. Go out. And so um, commentator, he, he writes this, Longfellow, uh, Longnecker, this commission lays an obligation on all Christians. I want us to hear this as a church. This commission lays an obligation on all Christians. So we're saved by grace, we're free. But once you say you are a follower of Christ, we all have an obligation. And it's this, the Christian church, according to Acts, is a missionary church that responds obediently to Jesus' command. What have we made church in the Southern California? Place to be comfortable, care for, have people pray over you, and just live nice. And then when you read Acts, you will be my witnesses. Now, it goes further, though, because, um, let, me, let me jump a little bit. The word witness in Greek, I didn't show it yet, but it will be telling. Do you know what the word witness in Greek is? John, could you forward to that next slide? Martus, where we get the word martyr. You will be not just an eyewitness, which is what being a missionary is, but you will be acknowledging the cause that you may be a martyr. And that same word is in Revelation. Next, next slide. You'll see the next slide. Is it Revelation? 17.6, and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. They've been killed. They've been slain. The blood of the martyrs, witnesses martyrs of jesus christ and so when jesus says you will be my witnesses we're like hey you know we'll evangelize and we'll share the gospel when we can he's saying no your whole identity in life is to be obligated to a calling and so this is this is the command of jesus and so when we look at this we need to acknowledge something here and especially in sin of lent and i think this is becoming more com more uh common how many of us have become pretty entitled? How many of us have become all about maintaining our comfort? Don't, don't raise your hand. But I'm going to say that again. How many of us have become entitled? And how many of us have become driven by our comfort or our family's comfort? Acts 8.1 says this, and Saul approved of his execution. Stephen was just executed. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, and Samaria. And can we read the last three words in yellow? Here we go. Except the apostles. Now, I never caught this until this Bible study. They were all scattered except the apostles. Who did Jesus command to go into Judea, Samaria? The apostles. Everybody was scattered except the apostles. And so there's a lot of meaning in there, and we don't want to read too much into it. But up until this time, nobody was leaving Jerusalem. This was a place Jesus died, rose again. We're having a good time. We're sharing bread. We're breaking bread. We're sharing and praying. We're having a great prayer meeting. Church is growing. Hallelujah. Jerusalem's great. And so what does God do? He sends not just persecution, but what? A great persecution against the church. Now that's shocking. That Jesus, that God would use 
not motivation or inspiration, but persecution to get the people out of their comfort zones. Um, one, the disciples still haven't gone. Two, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not being carried out. Three, now the Christians were being scattered by persecution. Now, here's what's really interesting. Uh, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's a slide. They started in Jerusalem. It's the starting point where Jesus died and rose again. Judea is their fellow countrymen. It's like saying United States Americans. La Mirada and Judea equals like Americans. But Samaria is shocking. I wrote those people. Uh, nod your head if you know those people. Those are the people that we have prejudices, biases, uh, where we just don't like. We have, we're like those people. It could be your own family. But to the Jews, when they hear Jesus say, go to Judea and Samaria, I never dawned on me. To them, it's like saying, think about your worst enemies. Go from your family and then to the people you despise, those half-breed Samaritans your sworn enemies, go to them with the gospel, and then to the end of the earth. Now, to uh, first century Christians, what's the end of the world? They didn't know Korea. They didn't know Russia. They didn't know South America. The end of the world to them was Rome. Wherever Rome ended was the end of the world. And they're saying, literally, go, Jesus is saying, preach the gospel to your oppressors. And we could... We can also take it to the end of the world in 21st century. But to the Jews, how they're hearing it is, share this gospel with your people. Share it with those sworn enemies and go to even Rome. So no wonder staying, why staying in Jerusalem is comfortable. Come on, let's just another confession time. How many of you this morning were like, oh gosh, it'd be nice to sleep in bed for another hour? Anybody? Just me? I'm the pastor, and I'm like, oh, I just need one more hour. And so this is what God is calling them to do. But they love their comfort, and they're staying. And so what God is telling the, Jew, the disciples, the Christian Jews, is I'm going to do my work through you, even using persecution, even using something as horrible as injustices, and so here's the good news, well, application, first application. This is so encouraging, I think. Just take a moment. God will mold you, mold us, bless us, transform us, and use us through our persecutions, through our failures, even through our weaknesses, that God's power will still propel us out. And the church says, thanks be to God. Because God doesn't use perfect people because we don't exist. He only uses imperfect people. And what I hear all the time is, God can't use me. I, I'm not as smart or I haven't gone to seminary or I haven't, I'm not as fired up as that guy. And it's not your power. It's his power, dunamis, that he uses this. He even uses persecution. So John Piper uh, wrote something brilliant I wanted to share with you about this text. He said, persecution is bad. That's an inspiring truth. <laughs> yeah, but here's the here's wisdom. 
but there's something even worse for the church than persecution. What do you think that could be? Prosperity. It is our prosperity that leads to comfort. What's worse than persecution for the church is our prosperity, is our comfort and success. How do we know this to be true? Every media since 1990s, they did a survey, Pew Research, Barna, every statistic shows this. Ready? Richer are always less givers to the church and to the mission proportionally to their income than the poorer people consistently. Listen to this one. The poorest fifth of the church consistently gives 3.4% of their income to the church. The wealthiest give 1.6%. An indication is the richer we get, the stingier we get because we believe it's ours. And what drove the church in the first century, there's a phrase, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. What drove the gospel to spread? It wasn't comfort. It wasn't prosperity. It was persecution. And they were scattered. And they went out. So why are we in the 21st century praying for comfort? Why are we idolizing just the status quo. This is how we have lost the mission. And so persecution, John Piper, is bad, but our idolatry of comfort is killing the church. Um, in the book, there's a book I, I always I refer to a lot because I, it's one of my top favorite books. It's a short book, that's why, and it has pictures. I'm just kidding, it doesn't have pictures. It's called, uh, it's from Tom Rainer, Autopsy of a Deceased Church. And I love this book because he did a survey of 30 churches that died and closed down. And he wrote their findings. What are the commonalities of churches that died and shut their doors? And so I want to share three quotes. When a church ceases to have a heart and ministry for its community, so they think about themselves so much, they forget the neighbors and the street outside, it is on the path toward death. Whenever local churches are mentioned in the New Testament, they are always exhorted to be other-centered. How many of you right now are thinking about others more than yourselves this morning? I know I have. I know that's our gravitational pull. Am I comfortable? Am I going to have a good day? But what if we thought, hey, who can I bless? I'm going to go to church today to serve. I want to see how God is leading me to look at others Second quote, members of the dying church really didn't want growth. Did you catch that? They say they want growth, but they didn't really didn't want growth unless that growth met their preferences and allowed them to remain comfortable, quote unquote, from Tom Rainer. So in other words, this happened at our church. Oh, young people are coming. We can't wait for them to join our committee to do our work and, and take over. So who's the center of that, I thought? Us. What if the thought was, young people are coming. What's their story? Where are they in their journey with Christ? How can we minister in our wisdom of life, in our struggles and pains, to be an agent of healing for them? See how church is different? One is, you're sitting in my pew. <laughs> the other is, hey, sit next to me. And this growth is conditional 
to keeping what we had. They died. These churches died. Last one. Even if the church began to grow on its own, the members of the dying church would only accept the growth uh, if the new members were like them and if the church would continue to, quote-unquote, do church the way they wanted it. The three same messages, we want to be comfortable, and we killed the local church. Uh, right now in PCUSA, 40% of churches have less than 30 people in attendance. They don't have pastors. 40%. It's not just PCUSA, it's every mainline denomination. And so we have to think of ourselves, what got us here? And you could blame sports all you want. You could blame the rock and roll music. I remember in the 80s, they were blaming Quiet Riot, Metallica, and devil's music. They're going to kill the church. It, that didn't kill the church. The church killed the church. The hypocrisy, the, the self-focus, the parents not living what they say here at home. So many things. And so what God is saying is, I want to use persecution to shatter this comfort because I love you. Because I want to bless the world. And so persecution is not created by God, but God redeems even evil for good. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Amen? And so persecution is uh, something that we should pray against. But right now, North Korea, Middle East, China... These countries that are trying to persecute Christians, guess what's happening there, friends? Revival. We are so thirsty for revival in America that Asbury College revival is making news because some of us are excited and some of us, I think, are jealous. Why doesn't that happen here? I see that in pastors writing in Facebook posts. They're excited. Maybe there's hope. And some of them are like, why isn't it happening in our school, our church, me and my life? But either way, we're hungry for revival because America became very comfortable. So God moves us out. He stoned Stephen. Stephen got stoned to death. And then Stephen was buried by bold witnesses who defied Jewish law by mourning him. And they buried him. They didn't care. And then it says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word, verse 4. Finally get them out of there <laughs> they kicked it. they finally moved on out and they're doing their work and where did they go they went to they went to samaria and proclaimed to them christ the first person is philip uh i think i have a i have a scripture slide over there uh next slide it's now those who are scattered went about preaching the word philip went down to the city of samaria so finally we have a christian jew who goes to the land of Samaria. So Ju Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And you see in Acts 8, what? They finally made it to the next circle. It's amazing what coming out of your comfort zone can do. I share this a 50 billion times, but for the people, one person who's new, when I sat in this chair in 14 years ago, literally it's been 14 years, first Sunday, March 1st, I sat in that chair praying, prelude was playing, I looked up, and I see a pews full of gray-haired people, white. And I'm going to be honest, I said, what am I doing here? I'm in the wrong place. And I had this panic that I made the wrong choice and dread, completely out of my comfort zone. I was a youth pastor, Korean American church, 
I, I was the youngest probably by a lot. And I looked out there, and this is what God did. In that very moment right here, the Holy Spirit comforted, said, I put you here, trust me. Why did I come? Because it's comfortable? Heck no. <laughs> Why did I move to a location and serve in a ministry that I had no clue, no business leading? Not comfort. It was God leading us out. And in his wisdom, God is, may use persecution. God may use your failures. God may even use all of your weakness. But he will push you out of your comfort zone for his glory, for his mission. This is how the early church grew. And so some of you are fighting so hard to maintain the status quo. And I'm going to say, repent of that. Don't just look away. You need to repent and say, Lord, whose life is your life? I read the same Bible as you. This life is not my own. It's ransomed. It is Christ's. Why do you live it as if you know your life better than Christ does? Let me say that again. Why do you live your life as if you know your life better than Christ knows your life? Christ loves you more than you could love yourself. And so this is the final stage. What happens? Philip goes out. He preaches. He reaches Samaria. And then later on, he preaches to someone, a eunuch in Ethiopia. And so the circle goes out. Philip is filled with the Holy Spirit. He goes out proclaims the good news. So I want to end with this simply. What do we need? What do we need to do? And this is really short. You need to start with having the Holy Spirit. If you are a churchgoer, but you haven't surrendered and given your life to Christ, we're not a Baptist church. I'm not going to do an altar call, but this is just pure basic theology. You cannot live the Christian mission life without the Holy Spirit. And to get the Holy Spirit, it only comes through you believing that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Don't play church. Is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus whom you believe who died and rose again? For me, everything is Jesus. Our mission statement in the back of your bulletin is to know Christ and to make Christ known. So it starts with that. Second, we need to be praying for Christians who've been kind of slumbering. We need, and I, we, we are struggling with this and we want to be a church that does this better. We need to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Fill us up, Lord, so that we could heal. We could, Philip cast out demons. He taught, he healed, and there was great joy. That God is moving us out so that we could rely on God's power. And so simply, I think CPCLM has to be, in the next 20 years, it's a safe place. It's a welcoming place. But it's a place that grows people like the children so that we could send them out into holy discomfort where we rely on the Holy Spirit of God to do his work. Amen? This is our prayer. Will you pray that with me for our church? Would you pray that for yourselves? That who cares if this church is around 30 years? That's going to fade. <laughs> but the work that the Holy Spirit does in bringing lives closer to him, that's eternal. Would you join in God's work? And would you say, Lord, I surrender all. Call me out. It's all yours. And when you do, the promise of God is you will be blessed. 
you will eventually be blessed. Let's pray. So as we take this time together before we take communion, um, would you pray that starting for your family, starting with you, and then go to our church. So start with me, God. Have I been loving comfort and my status quo way too much? Have I been longing for just a fortress around me so I don't get harmed? Or have I put my trust in you so that you can lead me knowing that you have given me all that I need to grow, even suffering? And let's pray for our church. Lord God, let this place be filled with the Holy Spirit that we see lives coming to Christ and we see the kingdom unfold, addressing injustices, undress, addressing, addressing the deconstruction of faith around us and, and we could really be a vibrant place, being a light in this world. Would you take a moment to pray? Holy Spirit, fill us up, mold us, use us, transform us, and send us to where we need to go and to be. Continue to give us all that we need for your work, so that you would be glorified, God, and that the world would know. May we be martyrs, both witnesses and those who lay their lives down for the sake of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.